In this episode, I'm joined by Robert Patton, Managing Partner at Creative Agency Success. As you'll hear in the episode, Robert is on a mission to eradicate the phrase starving artist. And one of the ways in which he helps people to do that is by learning when to say no. Exclusively for listeners of this podcast, Robert has put together three amazing resources for free. All you need to do is go to creativeagencysuccess.com slash site visibility. There you'll find a capabilities presentation guide, the chance to set up an agency profitability accelerator call, and the ability to download the ebook, The Practical Agency, which is written by Robert and his colleague, Darren Ward. Enjoy the episode. This is Internet Marketing. So it's timely that I'm speaking to you about this, Robert, because, uh, and this might not make it to the final podcast today, uh, only because I don't really want to offend anyone, but I've spent the last three hours in a meeting today that I probably should have said no to. Mm. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) it's a very well-timed conversation because I, I, I was laughing to myself in my head during the meeting. You know, it doesn't happen to me very often, thankfully. But I was in this meeting today and I was just thinking, you know, I don't really need to be here. I probably should have said no. And I was actually really looking forward to this conversation because uh, it's a bit of a chance for me to reflect and think, well, why did I say yes? And what could I have done better for that one? But I'm also trying not to be too hard on myself because, like I said, it doesn't happen too much for me. Does it still happen for you? Uh, from time to time, um, I would say probably more in my personal life than it does in business life at this point. I'm uh, right. I'm a, um, I do anytime there's a new thing that comes up as an opportunity, I'm a hell yes or hell no kind of person where it's, if it's not right. a hell yes, it's a hell no. What's been a hell yes for you recently? <laughs> what has been a hell yes for me recently? Yeah. Yeah. And what's been a hell no? I want to know both. I'm, you know, I can't think of anything specifically that has been a hell no or a specific hell yes as of recently. Um, I have most of my life so incredibly structured and planned out and everything very well streamlined at this point. Um, when people ask for things that I just don't do, I just tell them I don't. Um, I do talk with agencies on a regular basis that I'm either not well suited for or the way that they want to engage is not the way that I work. And so it's just a, a built in no, really. So I say no pretty frequently. Has it always been this way? Absolutely not. I want to know. I want to know what's behind that. <laughs> uh, I would say that I struggled um, with this both as an employee of an organization as well as an entrepreneur. Um, I would say that the journey—it was a journey, really, for for me to figure out that even saying no was an option to begin with. Um, mm. I had such a built-in um, connection and identity to people needing me. It was something I grew up with. It feels nice to be needed and to be able to help. Um, but it really led me to a place that I was sacrificing myself every single day. And I had really just fallen for the lie that we tend to tell ourselves as entrepreneurs that in order to have success that I have to sacrifice myself and that what I was doing was um, the reality of of being a business owner. And um, I got to a place where I was I was reaching burnout. I hated, I reached um, financial success. The business was doing very well. I had made more money than I'd ever had, but I was miserable. I hated 
every single moment of most days. And I had said yes to everything. And I had said, I didn't say yes to the right things. I didn't say no to the right things. And I had put myself in this place of what I thought was option A or option B of one, I could just continue doing what I was doing and continue to sacrifice my life. Or B, I could make a change and have less success. Um, but I'm a person that likes to uh, have my cake and eat it too. And uh, so I searched for option C and to be able to have both the financial success, business success uh, that I wanted, as well as being able to be happy with what I was doing, enjoy my day to day and actually get energy from what I was doing and fulfillment as well as excitement and as well as impact. And the pathway to do that was saying no. Tell me about this point in time. So you were achieving financial success but you were experiencing some kind of burnout at the time. What year are we talking? Tell me the scenario. What business were you working in as well? Uh, so it's the same business that I own now today. Yeah. I mean, dramatically different in the way that it functions. But this <laughs> has now been uh, seven years that I made a lot of changes. Um, <laughs> it was a bit of, I'm a, I'm a jump in um, into the deep end head first kind of person. Over the course of the following three weeks, after I had set some time aside to figure out what I wanted to say yes to, what I wanted to say no to, I determined all the things that I needed to remove from my plate and went systematically and eliminated about 80% of my business uh, over the course of the next couple of weeks. Uh, let go of the services that I didn't want to do, the clients that I wasn't enjoying, the things that I didn't want to do so that I could fill my life with all the stuff that I did enjoy so that I could actually have fun again. That's quite a radical change. Had you ever made a <laughs> radical change like that at any other point in your life? Uh, not as radical, no. Um, it definitely <laughs> it definitely was quite a leap, I would say, because um, mm. I kind of just took the the rug out from both myself and, and my spouse, and, and he wasn't quite so happy <laughs> with me having done it the way that I had. Um, but I, I also think that it gave me... Um, the energy again because i had like i said i had reached burnout um mm. and i was on the precipice of just not wanting to get out of bed again for wow. weeks on end so um it, it re-energized me having decided to choose myself over mm. other people and um it's that that point and knowing that that is a place that you can reach with just saying yes to every opportunity i mean really I fundamentally believe that a business is actually as equally built on the no's that you give as the yeses, right? Because if you say yes to every opportunity, there's a built-in no with everything that you say yes to. Because there's only 24 hours in a day, there's only seven days in a week, there's only so much time that you can do things. And if you say yes to everything, you're going to have to say no. And as an entrepreneur what you often say no to is the people that you care about most, the people that should be your priority uh, to your own sanity, to your own well-being. And uh, it's just incredibly important to recognize what what are the things that drive your energy? What are the things that you want to be doing? We only have one chance at life. And by God, am I going to make it great? Did you come to this realization about this discipline, this saying yes and saying no and making this radical overnight change? Is that something that you came to a decision 
on on your own or did it take for other people or other influences to kind of point out to you hey you know you might want to watch your health or your mental health because you're experiencing burnout and we don't think this is good for you you know sometimes i speak to people and they've read a book or they've been to a conference and it's triggered some kind of big change in them did you go for anything like that no i you know honestly i kind of wish that i had because maybe i would have learned it sooner (laughs) (laughs) um but no i mean the all of the the people that I had around me that I had looked up to, at least from a professional sense, had done largely and charted the same pathway, really, right? And um, had sacrificed themselves. And I had seen it as the thing that you did as an entrepreneur. So unfortunately, no. And looking back, what are some things that you used to say yes to that you kind of look back on now and you regret and now maybe say no to? Um, the hours of the day, the time that you're supposed to end the day and you just continue working or you get a phone call in the middle of the night and you answer that call from a client or you get an email ching that goes on your phone and you respond while sitting on the couch with your family or sitting at the dinner table and you're responding to an email that you shouldn't be responding to at that moment. And for the vast majority of you, unless you're a brain surgeon listening to this podcast, it isn't going, it isn't life or death and you should spend the time with the people that you're with. Those are the things I would say yes to every single day. And I needed to learn to not. In this period, because making that radical change at that time, at a time when you're already experiencing burnout, it must have, like, I'm trying to imagine myself in your shoes to summon the energy when you're already feeling burnt out to make such a big change talk to me a little bit about that how did you summon the energy to do that at the time was it just a case of it just a it sounds to me like it was a line in the sand moment for you mentally where mm-hmm. you just said to yourself you know this cannot continue any longer i would say it was probably a bit of like the fight or fight response to be honest with you that right. um it was like i had pushed into this fight component of myself where it's like i had to fight for my own well-being and the moment that I made the choice, like I had felt so freed that to me, the option was to only do the things that I wanted to do, to set the business up the way that I wanted to, and to only say yes to the people that I would enjoy working with, to have the impact that I wanted to have on uh, on their businesses and in their lives and being able to help people still in a meaningful way. But if I wasn't able to accomplish that, then I would rather have a smaller business. I would rather not have the same mm-hmm. level of success because myself, my sanity, my family was more important to me than the monetary things in life. It sounds to me, you know, we're talking seven years on now, you've experienced a lot of success, but was there a period in that period where it was financially really difficult? I'm a financial guy, right, really. So I'm um, I'm a planner to the nth degree of what, oh. what that meant. So I knew when I was letting go of those clients, what the financial implications were going to be, how much money I had from cash reserves perspective. So at what point I would need to make choices over the court, I, I fired nearly $2 million with the business at that point. Um, wow. And so yeah, there was obviously some financial implications of, of what that actually meant. But fortunately, it was incredibly profitable um, and had a substantial amount of savings at the time that allowed for me to be able to uh, whether that time frame, it took me about six months to replace the vast majority of that revenue um, and get back to a place where I, not only was I um, breaking even, but profitable again. It really was this like catalyst for me in being able to 
be authentically me because now that I'm no longer saying yes to things that I knew that I shouldn't be saying yes to, and I'm only saying yes to the things that I want to and saying no to the things that I didn't, um, I felt so incredibly energized. I also was more authentically Mm -hmm. me that allowed for me to attract differently, to be able to bring in my soulmate clients that allowed for me to um, really, I would say, even just in a sale conversation, allowed for me to be happier, which then made me more magnetic, I would say. Your soulmate clients, who are they? Like, What do they look like? They are creatives at their core. They are the person that drives inspiration from the things that are immediately around them and can create from nothing. They're the dreamers of the world. I uh, enjoy, I unfortunately was not given the gift of being the creative, but I'm completely enamored with the creative mind. And they are uh, designers. They are branding strategists. They are uh, the creative mind that um, struggle with business operations. And um, I, my personal fight mission is to eradicate the phrase, the starving artist. You've been through this journey now yourself. And at some point over the last seven years, it sounds like you've made part of your mission in life and in your career to help other people with this challenge too. So is there a single person that you remember seeing that was struggling? Maybe they were experiencing burnout. I want to know when this part of the journey started for you. I mean, I see that every single day now, pretty much every new client that I work with um, is in that place of just complete overwhelm. The vast majority of them um, having built a business to the point where they have reached a plateau, but they can't see beyond themselves. I would say that it was kind of an organic shift really um, to helping people with that as it became part of my story, because you know it wasn't something that I can immediately go and help people do to begin with, right? I had to figure mm-hmm. it out myself. I mean, because it was, like I said, a journey. It wasn't I immediately said no to every single thing. Like there was things that I said yes to. And it's like, oh, that was a no. I should have said no to that because <laughs> I realized I actually didn't want that. What well, It sounded nice. It wasn't in the end. And then saying no to it in the end. It was, it was, it's kind of a muscle really, I would say, right? The same way that you work any muscle in your body, the more that you do it, the easier it becomes. But yeah, I work with people every day to set up what that looks like from who their ideal client is to figuring out what their real zone of genius is, the thing that lights them up. The concept of if you were to never be paid a dime to do this work, you would do it in your spare time just because you love it so much. Mm. How to leverage um, their calendar and to-do list to help them understand how to say no to things because you can't say yes to everything that wouldn't fit in your calendar. So how to create boundaries around your personal life and your business life. And then how to start to look at the concept of the do delegate discard, right? What is not a priority? What should I focus on now? What are the needle movers? And where should I be doing things? And kind of thinking in one of the things I do with every single client when they first start is putting things into the four quadrants of the thing I love and I'm great at, the thing I'm okay and I'm good at, the thing that I'm okay at and I dislike, and the thing that I'm bad at and I hate. And every entrepreneur has things in every single one of those categories. But how do you remove the bottom two quadrants to begin with, right? The the bad at and you hate and you're okay at and you dislike. If you can start to remove those items and start to delegate them, because realistically speaking, you don't like them and you're not good at them, but there's someone else that absolutely loves them and are lit up up by that and are energized Mm -hmm. by that. So you're not only creating opportunity, you're also making your life better. So yeah, that's one of the first things that we do with every client. 
the bottom right quadrant, the things that people do, but they hate, particularly in creative industries. Are there any commonalities that you come across when you're speaking to people? Um, yes. Uh, interestingly, <laughs> one of the things I see more often than not seeing that quadrant is anything number related, uh, which uh, I guess also gives me a bit of job security because that, that is the thing that lights me up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's very often very number process oriented things, right? I mean, that's kind of antithetical to the creative mind for the vast majority of it, right? I'm, I'm married to a, a creative, a fine artist myself. And I, the beauty of a creative mind is that they can just go off into this other space, but the structure component behind it becomes a real problem for them as they see it as a, a barrier to being able to be fully creative. So there's there has to be like built-in structure into the creativity as well. And just the, their minds don't work in that linear fashion. And so it's those types of things that, um, that become a real challenge for them. They have, they do mm. it because they have to, but they struggle in a lot of instances, not all, but a lot. I'm thinking here about the things that I say no to in an agency environment and going through that process. I'm just trying to think like what triggered me at one point in my career, I probably came to the same realization that you're talking through and i started to say to no no to things and it felt really really liberating and i felt like i was protecting my energy which is something that's really important to me and i'm kind of trying to you know think about other people like is do you think that's within everyone do you think everyone has to go through it do you think people it, when you're trying to teach people how practically to say no without the attachment of guilt with it how do you do that I think it starts with um, with permission, really. Yeah, it is. It takes practice, but you first have to give yourself the permission to want it in the first place. Um, mm. There was, and now thinking about, um, you had asked a question earlier about like this moment. I would say that the start of the own process for me and the identification of this problem to begin with um, was even years before I even learned it, right? So it took me a while to figure it out. Um, but years before that, I had been on a trip in Greece and um, I had chartered a, a, a boat with a group of friends. And um, I had, you know, when your phone goes to like edge mode where you, they kind of still have internet, but you don't really have internet, mm -hmm. it would load the preview text of emails, but wouldn't actually like fully load the email. So I was like sitting there in this epically gorgeous place with a group of friends on a yacht that I had chartered and planned this trip and am frantically trying to load my email panicked about what is potentially going wrong that I'm unaware of. And mm. three days into this, I finally got internet. I checked my email frantically to see what fires I needed to help put out and what I needed to do. And um, <laughs> there weren't any. <laughs> And I realized at that moment, and I, the thing that was like super interesting that took me a little while to like codify fully was I was actually disappointed um, mm. that I wasn't actually as needed as I thought I was. And there was like this component to my own ego, my own identity of like being this person that everyone relied upon. And there's both the connection for me of what it meant to myself, but then there's also the the permission that you have to give yourself to be a bit selfish that it's that it's actually okay to live your life the way that you want it's okay to only do the things that you want to do and the first component i would say that i see this like change in someone's eyes when i have a conversation with them and not that they require my permission but then calling them out for it and giving them the affirmation 
that they need, that that's actually okay to choose that. Like you just see this like epiphany moment for them of it being an okay thing to do, that they can actually do that. And that's actually an option. It sounds like there's a lot of overlap. I guess a lot of overlap between conserving energy and time management. Do you spend a lot of time in that area of time management and efficiency? 100%. Um, And I don't know that I want to call it efficiency. I would say more effectiveness, right? And being selective of what it is that you do. Um, Efficiency is how do I pack as much into it as possible rather than how am I effective in what I'm spending my time doing. And and ultimately, that kind of stuff changes over time, right? Because what, what was valuable, the things that I would say yes to two years ago is different than the things that I would say yes or no to today, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're, as you progress, as you change the things that you see as the highest value things that you can be doing both for yourself as well as for what you do in the world as a profession uh, are going to change and augment. Um, but yeah, there is a big component around time management. Um, I'm constraints are incredibly important um are, are you familiar with the concept of parkinson's law mm, it doesn't sound familiar no please explain yeah so every the human beings um, by nature consume all the resources that we have available to us i, I mean that mm. is evident in every aspect of our lives from financial to hey global warming <laughs> right we utilize every component of resource that we have available to us and constraints are incredibly important. So how do you make the resource less available so that you make a different choice? And so time management components come into it and it's more around the boundaries that we set that provide for a framework of when to say yes and no. Because there's only so much that you can fit in this bucket. So, hey, this bucket is now full. What do I need to take out in order to fit the thing I need to fit in or I want to fit in? And it's one thing to learn this for yourself, but then how, so I'm thinking as a, someone in an agency myself, if you're trying to build a culture where saying no is, um, I wanted to say encourage them, but saying no is embraced, how do you do it? I mean, I can give a direct example. Um, recently yeah, yeah, I was please. hiring an EA and in the initial interview with her, I asked her how long of notice she needed to give on her current position. And she said two weeks. and. I looked at her because she looked like it kind of was like a forced out word. Like this was the expectation, the answer that I was looking for. And I stopped and I said, well, what do you actually want? Ask for what you want. And she said, I want to give four to six weeks. I'm like, okay. I think in fact, that actually shows your loyalty. So that is a good thing in my eyes. And then when it came to determining her start date after she had given notice and accepted the position and everything, I asked her if she wanted when when she was available to start after that um, window and she was planning on ending her prior job and starting the following Monday. I'm like, do you not want to have some time in between the functions, in between the two roles? And I had to again say the same thing, ask for what you want. And it's giving her, and I'm starting to instill in her now that that is a core belief system that I have at my business and the same mm-hmm. would need to be true for your team. I, I Yes, I believe that as a leader, you have to lead by example in order for p- people to be able to, um, to be able to do the same thing. I mean, to me, the moment that something isn't working for a single one of my team members, that means that the partnership isn't going to work in the end. So I, I need to have an or open door policy so that there's a great feedback loop that if they're not enjoying a component of their job or the way that we're functioning, I need to know because that means that they're not going to 
rush with excitement to do that component. They're not going to serve our clients as best as they possibly can. And it's incredibly important to leave that open for your team and to have these conversations because people, there's both value for them as well as value for your organization to have that kind of feedback loop. It sounds like one of your key skills is the ability to identify almost when someone has some kind of friction with their own, with what they're sharing. So you're identifying, like you gave the example there of someone that wanted to say something, but they just couldn't quite get there without you prompting them. So is that a fair (laughs) assumption? Do you think that's one of your key skills is identifying when people have that friction with themselves? And how do you get better at identifying that? Uh, Yes. And I think that um, I'm going to have to share that um, this question with my therapist at one point, but I'm going to share a little bit of a story about this because it's been an evolution of that too. But I I would agree that, yeah, it is a thing that I have purposefully fostered to understand uh, what someone's saying without them actually saying it themselves. Yeah. yeah. Um, So years ago, my therapist asked me the question. I don't even remember it was because it's not the question that was, that mattered really. She asked me a question and I answered and she said, well, you, your words said this, but your face told me this. <laughs> and I'm like, hold on, back off. I'll tell you what I want to tell you, damn it. Like, <laughs> and, and I was like, all right, well, hold on. Tell me a little bit more about what you, how did you determine that I was thinking something else or that I felt mm. something else in this situation, which started my journey in like this, like psychological exploration and reading loads of psychology books and stuff. Um, but the human body actually, we respond physically before we actually um, tangibly can understand, cognitively understand what we are processing. So you can actually see on someone's face their emotional experience before they even are aware of it themselves. Um, so if you pay attention and are actually there present with the person that you're talking to, you can very immediately see what their experience is like, whether it was something that was uncomfortable, whether it was something that was exciting, whether there was some aspect of apprehension, you can see little muscle responses in their faces that allows for you to know at least a component of their experience, not the entire experience, but a component of it. So we're a remote first agency. Most of our team work remotely. And I'm thinking here about creative cultures, remote versus in person, because Mm. everything you're saying lends itself to harnessing creativity and conserving creative creative energy in a physical environment because you're able to pick up on those um, physical cues whereas Mm. less so if you're doing that remote how true is what i just said is it easier to kind of foster creative energy in physical environments or have you been able to help businesses do that remotely you 100 can do it both i would say that in a physical environment, it's an easier thing. It, it is a bit more natural, I would say. You have to be more purposeful about it in a remote environment. I mean, my business is entirely remote. I probably have taken this to the the nth degree in the fact that my camera is sitting in a teleprompter so that I can directly be looking someone in the eye when I'm on a Zoom call. Um, oh, yeah. But you have to be intentional with it, right? Of how exactly are you creating more creative collaboration? How are you allowing for people to actually slow down and be present? Um it is something that you have to purposefully foster. But yes, it is possible in either scenario. And yeah, just talking about the remote, I'm really interested in that. So are there any practical tips you'd give for remote businesses on how they can harness that that creativity? Yeah. So, I mean, it depends on what your workflow looks like, right? So for example, um, we have clients that UX, UI designers, and they have paired designers that work directly together. 
And so they actually go through assigned time where they are directly on calls all day long. So they essentially mm-hmm. function, while not physically next to each other, they function next to each other in a digital format where they're on a call for three or four hours and they're working on a file together on a, a file online, but they're working at it at the same time, collaborating, discussing, going back and forth, driving off of each other, being able to come up with concepts together. Um, and it was something that they had lost. They felt that they had lost when they had gone from being in a physical environment to a remote environment, um, during the pandemic. And, um, that's something that they needed to figure out how they were going to bring back. Cause before it would have been, Hey, you've got a, a moment to kind of drive on this particular file that I'm working on. Um, whereas we just needed to be, like I said, a bit more intentional about it and making sure that the team has access to each other, but in a structured way so that it also isn't interrupt us, right? Because the remote environment issue that I would say that there's kind of an over response that I see happen more frequently with like the advent of the slacks and the teams of the world mm-hmm. where you've got instant messages where you're, being hit from every direction possible with 12 different forms of communication that um, I would say mute the ability to be creative. Do you have to work with people for a long period of time for this to work? Because we all slip into bad habits really quickly. So I guess you have to practice quite a lot of patience working with people over a long period of time for your work and your messages to take effect. How true is that? It's both true and and untrue. depends on the person, right? Because some people have been in a place of pain like I was for a long time where I felt like I was reaching burnout. So they're more likely to jump into it where someone that's like, ah, that kind of bothers me, but doesn't really bother. It takes a bit longer for them Mm -hmm. to come around to the concept. But if someone has been in a big component of pain, they're more likely to immediately snap to making an adjustment um, in the way that they're acting and functioning because it's a problem for them. Yeah. Speaking more broadly in just marketing agencies, uh, how many marketing agencies either have or do you work with? Mm, have I worked with? Um, yeah. Well over a hundred. Um, okay. So qu- quite a lot of marketing agency experience. Yeah. Um, right now, I want to say somewhere in the 60 odd that we are currently engaged with. Is there anything that you see where agencies put energy, like creative energy into something that just typically doesn't work common areas that agencies maybe overcomplicate or they spend time on without getting the return back yeah adding on new skills i really fundamentally believe in going deep not wide the the vast majority of instances and i mean asterisks to this right because there's exceptions to every rule but yeah, yeah um typically speaking you're not wanting to add on any additional services to your core set of what your zone of genius is until you're in the seven million plus in revenue um and so it's it's really key to just refine what you already do now. So what what is the interesting thing? And I will, sorry if this offends any listeners at the moment, but um, what I believe to be true is that creatives sometimes can get lazy with that because they enjoy the idea of doing something new to actually be able to be creative and my belief system is that where true creativity comes is where it's it feels like you're within a box that you have to create within something that already exists and to be able to make something new out of what you already have. And that's a lot harder. Whereas going down a new road into a new place and having a new experience, it's incredibly easy to be inspired in that situation. And that's where I think a lot of creatives get caught up and ultimately um, where I was going to say that I may offend is that it's a little lazy to 
to just immediately go to the shiny new object and create something brand new, a new service, a new skill, rather than refining what you already do well. There's something that's just come to mind, which is fascinating for me to think about, but uh, particularly early on in this podcast, you were saying how you admire the creative mind. And to paraphrase, you, I think you said something along the lines that you don't consider yourself particularly creative. And I'm mm. sitting here with your book in front of me. Um, so, uh, And I consider uh, authoring a book to be a creative endeavor. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit. Um, how do you see it? Because I see, yeah, authoring, I mean, uh, the books. So did you co-write The Practical Agency with, uh, da- is it Darren Ward? Yeah, Darren Ward. He's a member yeah. of my team. Him and I have worked together for seven odd years. I would say I have a creative bone, but I am not like intrinsically <laughs> creative. I mean, I I went to school for commercial photography and the way that I approached projects within within school was like I would measure out how far the camera needed to be from the subject, exactly how far the light needed to be and what angle it needed to be and all of that. So I applied a very linear um, mm. mind to even creativity in the first place. So, I mean, yeah, there's there's creative components to what i do every day but i'm not i'm not the dreamer that i see when i when i when i see my husband sitting on the couch with his ipad drawing out an idea and just like seeing his exploration i'm not that and that's what i see as a creative and like i just look at that with just like mind boggled and being able to do that because it's just not how my mind works so it's completely different than how i see my mind function and just absolutely and love it enjoy it and the output from it is fun to see does that work in your household these principles these things you're talking about are you able to work with your partner on these and support him in his endeavors yes and no i've i know that um with my spouse specifically likes his autonomy so i i will provide advice when he wants it but not when he doesn't but um i what i would say to that in general is that i mean i've always enjoyed art and I see the creative mind as society's um, real pathway to to betterment, that creatives are, like I was saying before, right, to be able to take something that already exists and make something new out of, out of that, to be able to take what seems like a, a really horrible, maybe bad situation and just make it beautiful. Um, and mm. that's applied from from new inventions to more practical art painting to design to business creativity um i see that as the as society's best pathway to greater success and happiness but as a reminder the books are the practical agency and the agency blueprint but if people do want to connect with you and learn more where can they find you if you go to creativeagencysuccess.com forward slash site visibility i've actually put together a page for you where there's three downloads or three things that you can take care of there there's a capabilities deck for agency owners that are wanting uh, to figure out exactly how to position themselves, be a bit more authentic and um, sell based on the thing that energizes them, that gets them out of bed and excites them, creating alignment. Um, there is a link there to download uh, the practical agency as well there, uh, an ebook download. And if you're in a place that you're wanting to have greater impact, you're not really sure how to say no, um, and you're wanting to be able to work with more clients. I'm happy to have a chat with you, give you some frameworks on what you can be doing next to make that improvement. There's a link there to book a call as well. Wonderful. All that's left to say is that this has been the Internet Marketing Podcast. Take care.